So we're going to go ahead and introduce each of our doctors who will be leading it. First being Dr. Andrew Moshfegi. He serves as the Associate Professor at the USC Gale and Edward Roski Eye Institute and is the Director of Clinical Trials Unit for the Department of Ophthalmology at the USC Keck School of Medicine. He is a recognized expert in diseases in vitreous retina and macula. He formerly served as Associate Professor of Ophthalmology and Medical Director at the Boscom Palmer Eye Institute at the University of Miami. Dr. Mushfegi is a noted vitreal retinal surgeon. His research concentrates on evaluation of intraocular pharmacotherapeutics, application of novel ophthalmic imaging techniques, and assessing healthcare utilization trends. His philosophy of patient care is to educate patients as much as possible about the disease process, how this differs from normal functioning, and why various treatment options may be beneficial. He likes to spend a considerable amount of time explaining what to expect from treatments and to really engage the patient in the treatment process. He currently practices at the Los Angeles Children's Hospital, Keck Medicine of USC in Pasadena, and at the Los Angeles USC Roski Eye Institute. We also have Dr. Hussein Amari. He serves as an assistant professor of clinical ophthalmology at the USC Roski Eye Institute and is also the director of USC Retinal Degeneration Center. Dr. Amari graduated from Tehran University in Medical Sciences, and then he served as a physician and director of Health Network, earning Provincial Physician of the Year. He received his ophthalmology and vitreo retinal surgery training in Ireland, earning Fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons of Ireland, from the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, and member Royal College of Ophthalmology from the Royal College of Ophthalmologists in London. While in Ireland, he was also an official lecturer at the University College Cork and was a founding member of the Irish Retinal Prosthesis Group. Dr. Mary completed his internship in general surgery at Cedar sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles and moved to Texas for his ophthalmology residency training at the University of Texas Medical Branch. During his ophthalmology residency, he earned a PhD in neuroscience at the Graduate School of Biomedical Engineering at the University of Texas Medical Branch. Dr. Mary obtained additional fellowship training in vitreo retinal surgery at USC Gale and Edward Roski Eye Institute. During his, time, during his time at the USC Department of Ophthalmology Institute in Los Angeles, he also pursued research on retinal prosthesis, where he became an assistant professor of research ophthalmology. He was involved in preclinical studies of Argus II and the development of wide field retinal prosthesis. In addition, he produced quality research on retinal vascular diseases, retinal angiogenesis, and ocular ultrasound. As an accomplished researcher, he holds a number of U.S. patents on retinal prosthesis and other devices. He currently practices at the Keck Medicine of USC in Pasadena, the USC Eye Institute in Arcadia, and at the USC Roski Eye Institute in Los Angeles. Please give him a round of applause. Thank you. 
And our third doctor for this program is Dr. Linda Lamb. She is the Vice Chair of Satellite Clinical Affairs and Associate Professor in Ophthalmology at the Keck School of Medicine of, at USC. She was educated at Brown University where she graduated with honors in neuroscience. Dr. Lamb received her medical degree with honors at Cornell University Medical College, where she also completed a research fellowship on retinal cell physiology. She completed her residency at the Cole Eye Institute at Cleveland Clinic before her fellowship appointment at Georgetown University Hospital and the Retina Group of Washington. Her interests include development of novel therapeutics for the treatment of macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, and vascular disease of the retina. She is a principal investigator of a clinical trial of neovascular macular degeneration and is co-investigator in many clinical trials involving treatment and prevention of diseases such as macular degeneration and diabetic retinopathy. She also serves as a reviewer for journals including Ophthalmology and British Journal of Ophthalmology. Dr. Lamb has authored peer-reviewed journal articles and book chapters in retinal diseases. She has lectured both internationally and nationally on retinal diseases and research. She currently serves as the medical director of the USC Eye Institute in Arcadia. Let's go ahead and give her a round of applause. We will begin today's presentation with Dr. Mushfegi. Can I steal this one? All right, so I'm Andrew Moshfegi, as was mentioned, and like the other two physicians with me here today, I'm a retina specialist, but even within retina, we have little areas of concentration, and one of the things that I'm going to talk about today is macular degeneration. We're going to talk about innovations in the treatment for age-related macular degeneration, and for those of you that can see this here, we do have a picture of a patient with common form of age-related macular degeneration. We see lots of these deposits in the, in the macula. We call them drusen. And really, these drusen are not normal. You know, They show up in patients over the age of 50 who are predisposed to having this condition, and then they interfere with your central vision. It could be really mild or it could be more severe, and you can end up with a permanent blind spot in the center of your vision. But it doesn't really affect the peripheral vision um, at all. So there's two major types of age-related macular degeneration. We call it AMD for short. There's the so-called dry type of macular degeneration. That's the more common type and the type that shows up first. And then there's the wet type or neovascular AMD. Now, a lot of folks get confused when we start talking about dry and wet because uh, when we say dry macula, they'll be like, oh, yeah, my eyes are tearing all day long, and I put those artificial tears in to help with that. And I was like, well, you're talking about dry eyes. That's a slightly different problem, um, very annoying problem, but nevertheless uh, not the same as dry age-related macular degeneration. <clears throat> the reason why we call it dry is because there's no bleeding yet involved with that condition. It's really just a slow, insidious onset of all these little drusen and little areas of atrophy in the macula. Atrophy is an area where your, your macula, which is the center of your retina, starts to thin out. And it's kind of like a blanket that's threadbare. It just doesn't work quite as well as it used to. And so with dry macular degeneration, most folks that have this 
really enjoy reasonably normal vision for a very long time until such time it either goes on to the advanced form of dry macular degeneration or to the wet form of macular degeneration. Now, fortunately, only about 8 to 10% of people that have dry macular degeneration are going to develop the advanced form of dry, which up until now, we, you know, even, even including now, we don't have any proven therapies for that yet. So you just develop this blind spot in the center of your vision, and there's not much we can do about it other than to use low vision devices and the like. Um, we're going to talk in a few minutes about some experimental therapies that are showing promise for this um, untreatable um, type of dry atrophic macular degeneration. We call that geographic atrophy. That's when you have atrophy in the center of your macula that kind of looks like a little country on a map. That's why we call it geographic atrophy. Um, but about another 15 to 20% of patients with macular degeneration can develop the wet form, and that's where you get abnormal blood vessels growing under your macula, and they start bleeding and causing swelling in your vision. Now, through the 70s and 80s, the only way we treated wet macular degeneration was with laser-based therapies. And that even went into the 1990s. I was speaking with uh, one of your patrons earlier, and she had received photodynamic therapy uh, on many occasions, and that's a form of a laser-based therapy where we tried to laser away those abnormal blood vessels growing in the macula. And that worked better than doing nothing, but still was not very good. Patients, on average, continued to lose vision despite those treatment. They just didn't lose as much vision as people um, who received no treatment. So it was better than nothing. It's all we had at the time. Um, but then around the early 2000s, we started injecting medications directly into the eye. And what I tell patients is when you have wet macular degeneration, it's kind of like having weeds or dandelions growing in your beautiful lawn. And wouldn't it be nice if you could throw some weed killer that would kill the weeds but not the lawn, not the grass? And that's kind of what these agents do. Uh, we inject them into the eye, and they kill the abnormal blood vessels, but they don't kill the retina. They don't kill the normal macula. Um, but just like weed killer, it has to be reapplied. Uh, if you don't reapply it, the weeds grow back, and they can grow out of control and then leave you with a big scar in the center of your macula. So for most patients, we're injecting these medications every one, two, or three months uh, during their first year. And after several years, they can receive fewer injections. But they do a very good job. You know, when we did photodynamic therapy, when we did laser, patients were losing vision. But when we do these injections in the eye, patients on average gain vision over the first several years. They might start to lose a little bit of vision after that, but not nearly as much vision as they would have lost with no treatment or with the old-style uh, laser-based treatment. Show of hands here from the audience, how many have received an injection like this in their eye? All right, so we probably have about maybe 15% of the audience that are familiar with these. And, you know, it's, it's often uh, reassuring to patients when we tell them they have this condition, but we have a treatment for them. Uh, but a lot of patients get confused and they think that maybe it's just one or two injections that they're going to need. Unfortunately, one of the shortcomings of the current therapies that we have for macular degeneration is that 
we have to keep doing these injections for years and years and years and years for the majority of patients. So we have some newer therapies that we hope are going to provide us with a longer duration of action where you don't need it every month necessarily, but you might be able to get it, let's say, every three months or every four months. Eventually, we hope to have a device that we could leave in the eye that would be sort of like a storage tank for this medication. And there would be a little port underneath the white part of your eye where maybe every six months or every nine months or so you'd come in and get refilled with the medication. There's a lot of technical challenges associated with such a device. Our colleague, Dr. Mark Humayan, who uh, uh, invented the retinal prosthesis that Mr. Blyland has received in both eyes, um, has developed such a device, and it's under um, evaluation, um, and the, as are several competing uh, devices. But another way of getting a longer duration of action isn't simply by having necessarily a uh, reservoir that can be refilled from time to time, but also just having drugs that last longer. Um, so we're working on several trials uh, right now on drugs that do just that. One of them is from a company based out of Irvine, California, named Allergan. They have a study that we're doing. Uh, my colleague, Dr. Kashani is running. And that's using a novel molecule that works in much the same way as these other molecules, Avastin, Lucentis, and Ilea. Uh, but it just has a slightly different chemical makeup. And basically what this drug does is that it works closer to three to four months instead of just one to two months. That may not sound like a big difference, but when you start adding it up over time, it really is a pretty big difference. If you're only receiving an injection three times a year or four times a year versus 12 times a year, um, it really does make a nice difference. Uh, we're just now getting ready to enroll patients in that study. We're looking at new patient, new wet macular degeneration patients, so someone who's never had any treatment for macular degeneration before. and. Uh, you have our information out front. We have business cards, and you can contact us if you know somebody that you think might be interested in such a study. All right. So this is, you know, for those of you that can see this, I have a picture of the normal macula. I have a picture of a patient with evolving wet macular degeneration. You can see the difference between these two pictures. Got all these lumpy, bumpy swellings in the retina. And I described those bumps as drusen before, and I have a picture of a nuclear waste pile over here. And the reason why I show that as an analogy is those drusen are like the toxic byproducts of a lifetime of vision. And those toxic byproducts, just like a nuclear waste pile, you know, they can have an effect on the surrounding environment. So even if you just have the dry macular degeneration, it starts to affect your reading vision, your ability to see things up close. You always feel like you need more light to see things. Um, and so that's what all these drusen do over time. And so, you know, wet macular degeneration comes after the beginning of dry macular degeneration, but wouldn't it be great if we could just prevent uh, wet from ever starting? And the way to do that would be to prevent these drusen from ever starting. And what we know is that 70% of the reason why people get dry macular degeneration is because of a genetic mutation or a genetic predisposition to the disease. It doesn't mean you, 
if your mom and dad have it, that you're going to get it for sure, but statistically you're at a greater risk. And one of the things that we found is that patients have a particular mutation, and that puts them at um, a, a risk for having a higher elevation of something called complement in their system. And complement is something that creates inflammation in the eye, creates distortion when you get macular degeneration. And what we're trying to do is to prevent these drusen from forming by injecting complement inhibitors into the eye. So it's another type of medication we inject into the eye. And drusen are one manifestation of intermediate macular degeneration, but then they can melt away and turn into a dead patch of retina we call geographic atrophy, and that's where you get that blind spot. So my colleague Linda Lamb here is running a study where we're injecting medicine into the eye, different kind of medicine, in the hopes of trying to prevent the more advanced stages of dry macular degeneration. I think we're pretty much getting underway with that one already. Um, so she might um, answer a few questions about that later. Um, now, what about the folks who, unfortunately, the 10% of patients or so who already have a pretty big blind spot in the center of their vision? It's too late for them to try to prevent that from happening because it's already there. But, you know, what can we do for them? Well, my colleague uh, Amir Kashani and uh, um, uh, Mark Humayan and colleagues have come up with an idea where we inject stem cells under the retina in the area where that dead patch of the retina is located. And kind of like putting grass seed on a dead patch of lawn, you want to regrow the macula in that area. Now, is that going to work? We don't know. Uh, we have a strong sense that there's, there's a good chance that it might work. And one of the problems that we had in the past was when you inject these stem cells under the macula, they just kind of go wherever they want to go. They don't go necessarily where you want them to go, and they kind of sprinkle around and, and travel around. So Dr. Humayan's team came up with a way of embedding those stem cells in on a sheet, kind of like a synthetic uh, platform where the, where the stem cells kind of rest on there and they kind of stay there, and then you put that whole sheet under the macula. And so they did this with researchers from Caltech and USC and, and other places. And right now we're, they've, we're getting ready to enroll patients. Uh, studies already underway. We're doing that surgery at USC, and it's really a pioneering effort uh, that we hope is going to be helpful at uh, helping patients with macular degeneration. Thank you. <laughs> Now, what about vitamins? Unfortunately, no major innovations in the AREDS formulation vitamins that you're all taking. And what I have to emphasize to patients when they're taking vitamins for macular degeneration is, first of all, you have to have some macular degeneration to take them for them to have a benefit. You know, if you have no macular degeneration or if you just have a family history, perhaps there may be some benefit that we're unaware of, but in the studies that were done, we did not see a statistical benefit from taking those. And even if you do have early sort of intermediate dry macular degeneration, it's not like you're going to see better by taking them. It's, it's really that you're giving yourself the best chance to lower your risk of it getting worse more quickly compared to those who did not take it. 
So it's kind of like taking an aspirin to prevent a heart attack. It's not like you feel better by taking it. It's not like you have more energy. But in general, you're going to lower your risk of developing a heart attack or a stroke. Uh, well, same thing with these vitamins for macular degeneration. You're going to lower the risk of developing bleeding inside your eye compared to someone who didn't take it. So we did a follow-up study on this, and that study showed that you know the addition of fish oil and the addition of oh, was not helpful, but that using um, two other supplements such as uh, lutein and zeaxanthin was uh, could be used in place of vitamin A. So for those of you that do have macular degeneration, you are taking the vitamins. In general, the ones we recommend are the so-called AREDS-2 vitamins, and that's one pill twice a day with food. But you know, stay tuned for additional information on dietary supplements because uh, we know that green leafy vegetables, brightly colored fruits and vegetables, basically a vegetarian diet is ideal as long as you're getting a well-balanced uh, uh, diet. But we have a lot of exciting things going on with macular degeneration. We have a stem cell study. We have the complement inhibition study. And we're going to hear some more about other aspects of retinal uh, research going on at USC uh, by Dr. Amiri next. Thank you. We're going to hold questions until we get to the end of all three doctors. But uh, write them down, and we'll be happy to address them when we're all done. Great. Thank you, Dr. Roshwagy.